0: Greetings, my name is Louis Molina, and I'm the host of the Life Puro podcast. In today's conversation, I speak with Asylum Cigars brand owner, Tom Lazuka. So we hope you enjoy today's conversation, and feel free to light up a cigar. If you don't have a cigar, browse our website at shop.habanaport.com. So, Tom Lazuka, thanks for coming in today. We appreciate
1: you. Yeah, good to be here, man. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, it's a little, little note for the viewers you would actually have uh, been to our old shop and did a, a podcast recording before this, this iteration of our podcast. But we never published it just because it was so low-tech. Uh,
1: yeah. The, listen, man, this is beautiful. Yeah. The, the new place, the new store, it looks awesome, man. Yeah. Congratulations.
0: No, thank you very much. Um, so before, I guess, we dive in, um, do you want to talk about the cigars we have here? Yeah. Um,
1: so we have the, uh, uh, the Medulla. The Asylum 13 Medulla, so this is, uh, uh, you know, we changed the packaging recently. So, you know, this used to come in a 50-count box. It would have the Medulla, 25 of them, and then the Oblongata is the box press version in 25, uh, so, we separated everything into 25-count boxes. So, they're almost like two different lines now. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the basis of this cigar is our authentic Corojo, that first-generation Cuban seed we grow in Honduras. Uh, this is binder, wrapper, filler, authentic Corojo. So, this is a four-year-age tobacco. It's, uh, the again, Corojo wrapper with... Uh, uh, you know, Honduran binders and fillers, so the authentic whole okay. binder and filler. So it's going to be a medium body cigar. Has nice spice through your nose, more earthy on your palate. So it's a, a a great cigar. I think everybody can smoke this cigar, even if you're a mild smoker, it doesn't overpower you. And if you like something a little stronger, it still fits for you.
0: Yeah, I always felt that this line was very smooth, very flavorful, but it could be easily approached by. Beginners and experts—is that valid?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's a cigar that can kind of fit uh, uh, everybody's, you know, palate.
0: So this is a Honduran puro. It's all 100% Honduran origin tobacco.
1: Yep, uh, all authentic Corojo binder, wrapper, and filler.
0: Okay, wow. And maybe to give a little insight into Corojo to the uh, listener or viewer, what can you explain about Coro? What does that mean?
1: So, you know, Corojo is a seed that was grown in Cuba from 1930 to 1997. Um, when the boom hit in the mid-90s, nobody could produce enough tobacco. And the one problem with authentic Corojo is it's a very small plant, only yields about 900 pounds per acre, uh, and it's very susceptible to blue mold. So when the boom hit, everyone needed more tobacco. So that's when you they came out with Criollos or Havana 2000s or the... Uh, Corojo, 97. So all these hybrids started coming out, and uh, we kept growing the authentic Corojo seed. So Christian came into business in 1995 with his father, and uh, they had purchased the Camacho brand from a gentleman named Simone Camacho, which were more mild Dominican cigars.
0: Really? They were Dominican originally?
1: Yes. So when Christian... uh, came in with his father, his flavor profile, he wanted fuller, stronger. And that's really what launched Camacho in uh, like 2000, uh, 1999, 2000. So the original Camacho Corojo was a three-year aged Corojo. And then we came out with the diplomas, which were aged longer, four and five years. Uh, but it was all uh, 100% authentic Corojo, so it's a puro Honduran corojo. just different uh, uh, parts of the plant, right? Viso, seco, Lajero, just different mixtures and in, in, in different ages of the tobacco.
0: Yeah. Well, um, maybe let's backtrack uh, to, so the listener can get to know you more. Um, when did you? Let's go back to the beginning. Um, when When did you start smoking cigars? Were you Were you part of the industry, like generationally? Um, were nope. you part of the business, or maybe was, were you like multi generational? Did you grow nope. up in the business, nope. or you, you entered it? How, yeah, tell me your, your uh, genesis of uh, cigar uh, smoking. A,
1: a gringo from Detroit, right? People always ask, how the how does yeah. this big this white guy get in the cigar business, right? right? In a Latin dominated business, but mm-hmm. uh, no, you know, I actually uh, own Jets Pizzas, a pizza chain in Detroit. Uh, well, they're like 40, I think they're in 40 states now. They've grown quite a bit over the 20 plus years since I've been out of it. But, uh, you know, a good friend of mine was in the business. Uh, my best friend growing up since I was three was working for impact force in Michigan, which a gentleman named Mike Perales, who's been in the business for like 35 years. And, uh, my best friend started working with him, and that was really my introduction to cigars. I think he was carrying, like, Fighting Cock and Pheasant. Oh, I remember and, that. And he, he had a Filipino uh, cigar? Yeah, yeah and yeah, then yeah. he had uh, Nestor Miranda. You know, uh, the very first I event, to, uh, event I went to was a Nestor Miranda event, right, in downtown Detroit. and uh, So I started smoking cigars then, and this is probably, I would say, probably around 97, 98.
0: Okay, near the tail end of the boom, huh? Yeah, and, yeah.
1: and then um, I had sold my pizza places and Mr. Perales, you know, who's been a good friend of mine for, you know, like I said since that time. Said you should get in the cigar business. So my first job, he called me one day and said, "Hey, call these people." And uh, I actually went to work for Calibri. The, you know, I worked for sold the accessories oh, for wow. Calibri and uh, I spent 2 years there. And then in late 2022, uh, uh, 2002 is when I went to work with, 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 Christian. Okay. at Camacho. Okay. And, uh, so I was a sales rep at Camacho and did very, very well. Me and Christian formed a great relationship mm-hmm. and, uh, was part of the transition when Camacho sold to Davidoff. So I spent four years with Davidoff and then when Christian's non-compete ended, you know, he said, let's start a company together. So me and him, uh, uh in July of 2012 launched uh the Asylum and CLE brands and then we've grown it into the Aurora brands and you know we did the Edgar Hoyle the Osak One Shot One Kills and uh we had Robert Caldwell in the beginning and uh uh Grace Santolongo we had a brand with her so we were really like a melting pot of ideas and stuff like that and you know today you know it's just me and Christian now but uh you know, so it's been, uh, you know, we just celebrated our 11th anniversary here in this month, and uh, so it's going strong.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I still remember, uh, because we opened our cigar shop in 2010, our first location was about an hour from here yeah. in Covington. And I remember when, because uh, we were still selling the Camacho, uh, I guess, yeah, that would be been around the time when Davidoff bought up the brand,
1: right? Yeah, they bought us in 2008. Oh, okay. Uh, but we operated separately till 2010. Okay. And then in 2010, uh, they kind of combined the territories and gave each rep <clears throat> uh, the whole portfolio. So at that point, around 2010, I started selling Davidoff and Avos and Griffins and and all their portfolio on top of the Asylum and Cusano.
0: Okay. And then I guess it was 2012. The non-compete expired, right? I guess officially or 13. Yeah, 2012. And then that's when CLE and Asylum Cigars came out.
1: Yep, July 2nd of 2012 yeah. was our first day. And we, you know, we left a little bit before that because we went down and started developing the brands and blending, and we had been working on some things. So I left like in in March. Yeah. Uh, and then like I said, we we got to the trade show the first one was Orlando and uh, oh i remember that one i remember you know, that trade uh, show yeah, yeah, yeah. the history's behind us now yeah, you yeah. know it took off really well and we've been growing ever since
0: i remember getting the letter i guess it was around 2012 or 13 from I don't I can't remember if, if if you guys were marketing yourselves more as Tabacalera Unidas.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. As before, yeah, I guess the ROA or CLE. <laughs> that, I know that, the that's branding. Still confusion. our business name, but right.
1: we're a DBA now under CLE, yeah, right? Yeah. Because people just were like Tabacalera Unidas. And I think right. George Rico had something with Tabacalera Unidas. So yeah. we were like, okay, we'll just change the name, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I
0: remember getting a letter from you guys of the invitation to to de- to go visit the operations yeah down Honduras yeah so I remember Christian giving that that tour and you know just seeing the whole um, the factory layout and the farms it was it was pretty cool
1: yeah and I mean uh, we'll have to bring you back down because it's uh, it's amazing the the changes
0: okay you know yeah because I think it was 2012 I think when I went down there. so yeah it had been 11 11 years and now. we
1: were still operating you know the original uh, deal with Christian was they. Davidoff was making the cigars at the old Camacho factories. So, okay. and then we were making asylums out of Nicaragua. Mm. And, uh, you know, today, uh, fast forward, you know, we've really expanded our factory. So we built our own factory in Danley. Um, you know, it's uh, part of the free trade zone now. So we have a huge box factory there. And, uh, you know, we're completely vertical there now. So it's a lot of changes. That wow. Is, yeah.
0: I bet having that uh, capacity... To produce your own boxes is, is so valuable, huh?
1: It is. It's still one of those things, you know. It's one of those fighting points. I remember, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was probably November, maybe not this past one, the year before, and we were down and said, Christian, we got a box problem. He says, no, we don't got a box problem. I said, F you, we got a box problem, you know. And uh, we get down there, and we had like 550,000 cigars and no boxes. I said, listen, who, wow. you know, and it was just simple. I said, who, you know, we had a guy running it, and I just said, listen, how many boxes a day can we produce? 500. Okay, well, how many days a, a week do they work? And how many weeks do they work? Because we're 30,000 boxes short.
0: Jeez. You
1: know, and we're at full production. So we had actually, you know, we were going to source it, but we went and actually added a second shift and then moved the box factory with new equipment and dryers. And, you know, we, we made, we've made a lot of investment into the company mm-hmm. over the last few years.
0: Yeah, that topic has always been intriguing for me because most of the cigar industry people I've talked to over the years, if there's any, um, I guess, choke point in the process of cigar making, yeah, it's usually the box and or like the packaging material, whether it be the labels or barcodes. And
1: COVID exasperated that, right? Yeah. It, it just made it uh, crazy because mm-hmm. you couldn't get certain things and, and the demand skyrocketed. And, and so now you're trying to make more cigars you're trying to get tobacco you're trying to make more boxes you're trying to do all these things uh and it just the demand went so high
0: and that's what i was going to ask you what did you see uh for your line of cigars in terms of performance during the lockdowns yeah i mean you know down way up yeah
1: no you know we we were up but we couldn't supply Mm -hmm. you know because either we were out of boxes the bands were taking too long to come in um you know or just tobacco you know the, the asylums were made in nicaragua nicaragua was having problems and they were sending me 20 of of my oh orders my. so i had to move a lot of production into honduras yeah.
0: um, <clears throat> under your control huh yeah, yeah. so we, you know
1: we still use the same nicaraguan tobacco we just had to start producing in in honduras mm-hmm. and um you know so we, we we've kind of got to see all of those pinch points, right? And we're like, how do we avoid this in the future? You know, and we said, okay, we need to expand. So we started some new farms. Um, You know, we have a farm in Central America, uh, in South America now. That we started growing some tobacco there. For, it's, been, it's a couple years old now that we've been growing tobacco, a few crops out of there so far. and uh, So I think you'll see some new stuff in the future from us uh, out, out of that farm. Oh, cool. And, we, you know, we've expanded in Honduras with some of our own farms outside of the family farms. We're growing tobacco and looking for new places to, uh, you know, just be creative and come up with something new, right? Because how many times can we recreate the wheel with coro? You mm-hmm. know, it's our... Uh, Christian's father is probably the best grower of authentic corojo in the world. No, nobody does it like he does, and we're able to. But you know, how many corojo cigars can we come out with at some point? You know, so we're looking for new things and new ways to innovate and and come up with some hybrid seeds and some different flavors. So hopefully, there'll be some real new new stuff coming from us in in the next couple of years as that tobacco gets ready.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember uh, our account manager Hector. He had told me during the trade show a few weeks ago, that you guys have been investing at least in trying to procure tobacco from South America. Can you expand on that a little bit? Or is that private?
1: Yeah, we're not... Ta- That's fine. We're not releasing the country yet. Okay. But, uh, you but know. it's somewhere
0: down in South America. Yeah. So Which, we- I don't know if a lot of people know that, uh, at least our viewers, there's a lot of tobacco that comes from South America. It's not just Dominican Republic, Honduras, yeah, or absolutely. Nicaragua. I mean, really internationally. Yeah. South America with Ecuador, Colombia, Peru, even.
1: yeah, there's definitely tobaccos coming out of those places mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know it, it's you know we've we've got a changing uh, e- economy, right? You know if you go back to 2008, um, Honduras was producing about 90 million cigars a year. Dominican was one hundred and twenty five and Nicaragua was only about forty five million in 2008. so you're only going back fifteen years uh mm-hmm. Honduras had a lot of political problems, a lot of violence yeah. happening, and they, they ousted the president, and uh, they raised wages quite a bit. The new president came in and said, we're going to raise wages. So Honduras and Nicaragua were always on the same wage scale, basically uh, about a 5% pay increase every three years, and then all of a sudden Honduras went way up. So Honduras is triple what Nicaragua is today. Oh, I see. And then with, you know, the, 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 the violence and, and everything, boom, uh, everyone started moving into Nicaragua. And then all of a sudden you went from eight factories or whatever it was in 2008 to like 80 now, right? So you saw everything new. Nicaragua really exploded and has done an amazing job right. uh, of producing tobacco and rolling great cigars. Uh, and then, we, you know, you come kind of back to it today and, you know— Nicaragua producing, I think, 150 million cigars or more, 175 million. I don't know, remember exactly what the number was. Yeah,
0: I think T A Who was that? Uh, the Cigar Association of America put yeah, out their numbers a, a few yeah, months ago.
1: Yeah, we broke and,
0: records, I guess.
1: And so, you know, we've had fam- amazing years. You know, I think mm-hmm. last year was 475 million cigars in the in the U.S. You know, and at boom time we were at like three thirty-five or three fifty. Yeah. So we we far exceeded the boom yeah. of the the nineties. Yeah. Uh, which put a big strain on tobaccos and supplies and all that stuff. So, so you
0: remember those, uh, the, the, the boom days of like yeah, trying I mean, to was, source cigars? Because just... you were more a consumer in 96, 95, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember because I, I started smoking cigars in 96. And uh, I remember like going into Human back then where. It was tough to get certain brands, like you couldn't find certain oh, brands. Oh, and there was
1: just so much, right? And I remember
0: the green cigars, too, like these <laughs> fly-by-nighters that came in. And yeah. I still remember the taste of those bad cigars. Yeah, there was a lot. But I guess the difference then, correct me if I'm wrong, the difference between today and back then in the 90s, the supply and demand are are are, are pretty equal. I guess the problem in the boom was the demand way out out outdid <laughs> the, <laughs> the supply. So you had a lot of people that cut corners to try to meet that demand.
1: Yeah, and the product wasn't as good. Right. right. And I think today there's so many good products out there Mm -hmm. in the marketplace, whether it's ours or, you know, my father or La Flor Dominicana, Fuente, you know. I Mm -hmm. mean, there's so many good companies producing really good cigars today. Yeah. Um, And the demand has stayed up. Yeah. You know, I think we're starting to see it level off and maybe Mm -hmm. fall a little bit. You know, obviously, I think inflation is playing a role in that. I think, you know, my biggest scare is not... Uh, the government or FDA it, it it's the rising cost of producing a cigar mm-hmm. because the price keeps going up. So
0: yeah, this past year, I've never seen the, the price increases as high as, you know?
1: Yeah. And that was not that everyone was trying to be, you know, make extra money. It was.
0: Yeah. The cost of goods. We're, yeah. We were losing money. Yeah, yeah, Right.
1: I mean, in the sense we, you know, our right. profitability went down and, uh, you know, I think we only did a 15 or 20 cents a cigar price increase. So, you know, you do the math at 60 cents a cigar, you're losing 40, 45 cents a cigar.
0: Yeah, adds uh, up.
1: In, in, in profit. But uh, that's okay, right? I mean, you know, we, it cycles out and hopefully, you know, we, we continue to be profitable and keep growing as a company selling more cigars. So. Yeah.
0: No, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't fear, you know, losing sales due to inflationary costs. That's just my prediction, just because people who enjoy cigars. Typically, have the disposable income, or at least, if it does hurt their pocketbooks, they just might have to shift downwards. Yeah, you know, in terms of the price
1: point, exactly. So, and that's again, the rising price point is what concerns me the most. You yeah, know? but uh, again, the you know, this isn't about quantity of how many you smoke a day, right? And, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of things. So to go out and have a couple cigars or a cigar, even if it's fifteen or twenty dollars, where else can you go spend an hour or two hours? For forty bucks, you That's know right. what I mean. Mm-hmm. For $30, 40 bucks, you get a drink and or uh, whatever you drink, and uh, so it's still a great way to you know spend a couple of hours.
0: Right. Yeah, it's still very good value. Yeah. For yeah, yeah I, in, in that regard.
1: Anything else you you go do is expensive mm-hmm. today too. So mm-hmm. you know, it's all cyclical. It's just where are people going to spend their money?
0: Yeah. No, but I it's weird. Like you know, I I. I change the prices annually of our cigars and usually the manufacturer goes up anywhere between one and three percent at yeah. most a year yeah this past year was five to eight ten percent yeah i saw some companies go up as high as 15 percent you know that that's, yeah that's pretty pretty noticeable Well,
1: and you look i mean you know we're, we're looking at the the cuban market
0: yeah that oh that's crazy too
1: you know the you you look at you know my understanding is again and uh, they don't really give their numbers, but what I'm hearing is, you know, they're normally about 125 million cigars a year in production out of Cuba. And they're down to 45 million. So, you know, Whoa. can you verify that number? I don't know, but you know, they've moved the Cuban production, and not the productions, but uh, the end product. You know, used to a lot go into Germany, and you know, I was just over in Germany, Switzerland, and, and Austria, and uh, visiting a lot of those countries, and you know. A lot of those storekeepers, oh, yeah, we're 70% less Cubans are coming in.
0: So, but they're making up for it by selling more of the, what they call the New World cigars, the non-Cubans?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we're seeing a huge boom in, 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 mm-hmm. in the...
0: Uh, in the international market. In the huh?
1: international market. Yep. So, uh, so that's great. But, again, we had to be prepared, right? Mm-hmm. A- and so, you know, I think Christian and... and our factories ever and we got our Rupert our supply chain guy have done a fantastic job of really getting the numbers down and making sure you know we went into this show with the most inventory we've ever had we still have inventory coming out of the show and you know we've got some new product launches that are coming out uh, hopefully in September and uh, so yeah you know it's great to see that that the european market's kind of uh, uh, Changing because Cuba's putting sending everything to Asian markets now, and they doubled and tripled the prices. So yeah,
0: skyrocketed some of these prices now.
1: Yeah, so guys are getting fifteen boxes a week if they're lucky over there, and and, you know, so they have to fill the shelves. Yeah, so it's given us a great opportunity to go over and Mm -hmm. really introduce our products to uh, a a different consumer, a, a traditionally Cuban consumer, and some of the countries like the UK are still pretty uh you know uh cuban based and Mm -hmm. davidoff based you know because davidoff really has a great footprint in in the european markets um Mm -hmm. but you know i remember when we first started you know my first trips over there we had four facings you know we had a lot you know and now you go in and i you know visit like last year i visited romania and countries like that bulgaria and you know, we've got 30, 40 facings in their stores now. Wow. You know? So they're really, yeah. really getting behind our products, and mm-hmm. uh, it's been fantastic and a lot of fun to go over and see uh, a real growing cigar cigar culture in the, the European countries.
0: So uh, I'm assuming you guys attend uh, the trade show over there in Munich, inter Tobacco Yeah, in Dortmund? Dortmund, yeah, Oh, I'm sorry, Dortmund, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How is that different from PCA's trade show in you the know, U.S.? It,
1: where PCA is very much retailer-based, Dortmund tends to be more—I mean, there are retailers that come. One of the problems is, you know, uh, they they took the Sunday away, and Sunday was a big retail day because a lot of the shops are closed on Sunday. Oh. So if you're a German distrib- retailer mm-hmm. uh, or France or Holland or the Netherlands, you can get down there fairly easy if you are a few hour car ride. And visit, and they don't have the Sunday day anymore. So I think they've kind of hurt the retail show by taking the Sunday out. Oh. Uh, but it's really more about expanding your 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 distributors.
0: Yeah, that isn't that really the goal. Your your cigar company is trying to target the distributors of each of these countries, right? Your, exactly. Your, so
1: yeah. you're trying to find a distributor that will distribute herself in new countries. So you know. Uh, you meet people like you said, uh, you know, we Lebanon, the Emirates and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dubai and places like that are all new markets for us. You know,
0: do they attend inter Tobacco, the Asian market uh, or do they have their own trade show? You know, I, in I Asia? think
1: they have their own trade show. I mean, you, we've got like a distributor from Hong Kong that comes mm. and, you know, that we work with there and. So you definitely get people from all over Africa, you name it. I mean, you know, it's 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 not just your traditional European markets. You're mm-hmm. really seeing growth in the Eastern Bloc countries who, you know, only been out of communism for 30 years, like 1989, you know, when, when in Romania, which was a fantastic trip. And and so it's just it's fun seeing, you know, I just I did Croatia and Albania uh, this year and seeing these cultures kind of develop. uh Uh, into a Western civilization, more like, you know, uh, non-communist, democratic society, you're uh, you're definitely starting to see a nice cigar culture grow in those countries.
0: Isn't that funny how, I guess, as a society or country develops maybe a little bit more peaceful or democratic, the cigar culture coincides with that? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So it's a great thing, you know, and uh, I I enjoy it, you know, getting over there.
0: So you're seeing more cigar participation from the international markets. Yeah. So you're you know you're having an insight into that. What how can you compare or contrast the international market to the US?
1: Yeah, it's still very small. You know, in yeah. the whole realm of things it, it it's still small. Yeah. Because but if you take the, you know, the, basically if, if you take the EU, it's the same size as the US, maybe not in landmass. I, I never compared that, but in the amount of people with the UK going out, it's about 350 million people. Mm. The US is a uh, 300 and what? 40 million people, 350. So it's very similar in the amount of people. Um, each country a little different. You know, obviously Germany's a great cigar market because yeah. um, it's more developed, uh, Uh, France is a great cigar I think our best cigar market European market we do very very well in France Um, but you see like Spain I was going to
0: ask you what about Spain? You know Spain's been a little tougher uh, for you guys
1: uh, but we still you know we, we, we have a distributor there two brothers that do a great job for us and and you know, we did our first international sales meeting. So last year we actually went to Spain, we rented a castle and we had like 38 of our, uh, 38 people come from all different countries and, and, uh, you know, introduced all the products and did, you know, some selling points, how to compare the products, how to differentiate between the asylum Corojo and the CLE Corojos, what makes them different. So how do you sell them against, you know, against other products or separate even our own product lines so mm-hmm. had a great meeting with, with the our european distributors and uh, we hope to do that again we'll probably do it every two years okay uh, and go back and just do you know an update on new products and so it was a great opportunity to because they don't they all carry something different right and then we were able to introduce them to stuff and say, oh, i want that in in, in germany or i want that in Romania or Bulgaria or whatever country, Poland or Czech Republic or whatever. So it was a, a great opportunity to get in front of our uh, international partners.
0: Have you uh, made headway into Italy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we had a okay. great distributor in Italy. You know, Italy is always a tougher market it, yeah. in the sense that, you know, they have a lot of tourism. Uh, but they are very much a, like a Toscano smoker.
0: Yeah, they're still, that, that's the, the, their the cigar, is Yeah, that's that like a, a very shrewd. Italian thing, right? Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times they'll come into the shop and, or uh, you know, a shop and they they want something small and strong, yeah. right? So uh-huh. we sell a lot of our smaller asylums there in the smaller ring gauges. We make one, we don't even make it in the U.S. It's a little 44 by 4 in the Asylum 13, and it's just a powerhouse, right? And it does great over there. Okay. So it's still getting them into like bigger cigars. So there's still the change of culture, but it's yeah. slow, but it it comes, you know. Yeah, we're s- a- so
0: I guess that um, what's that uh, Tommy cigar, the Tommy Matola? Mato-
1: uh, oh, the t- Tom to- Big, Big Tom, Tom Tommy. Tommy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, yeah, that wouldn't yeah, yeah. do that,
0: that. wouldn't do well over there, right? <laughs> you know, now, huh?
1: the, it's surprising though, because like when they wanted they wanted the 90s and sold a lot of them. Uh, Germany, our number one seller in Germany is the 80 by eight.
0: Are you serious? Yeah.
1: So uh-huh. you know, you think. Uh the European markets tend to be like smaller traditional rings, yeah. sizes. That we're doing very, very well with big ring gauges over there. Wow. Yeah.
0: Hmm. So when you were in Europe, you were just there, um I guess all your European trips, who has the best food for you?
1: Oh uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're all a little different. Right, right.
0: right. Yeah, they're all good. I
1: mean, uh, Christian loves Spain. I mean, I remember Mm -hmm. I took a vacation a few years ago, and don't be mad at me, Spaniards. But uh, it's like, dude, the food, you know, how much paella can you eat, you (laughs) know, and ham, (laughs) jamon, right? uh, uh, But, you know, like through Italy, the food's been good. I mean, Paris, there's great food in Paris, too. It's Mm -hmm. pricier, you know. But I actually love the food in, in, in Croatia, Mm. And when I was in Albania, because they're they're right off the sea, you know, uh, the Adriatic there. So uh, lots of fresh seafood and stuff like that. And those guys fed me like, you know, every meal was seven courses. uh, Lunch was seven courses. Dinner, I'm like, I left there, you know. Stuffed, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: But did you walk a lot in Europe?
1: Yeah, yeah. We definitely got around. I mean, they were long days, you know, because we'd either do trainings, you know, like in uh, you know, in Albania, uh, we didn't do, per, per se, like, in-store events. We did, uh, like, a training. So, you know, hmm. I would do—they uh, would bring in all, like, the casino hosts uh, or the high-end restaurants or the hotels that carry cigars because there's not a lot of cigar shops. Uh, and our distributor owns this, a bunch of a bunch of the cigar shops. And uh, so— they brought their people in, so I just, you know, mm. we did a conference room, and I just did a training on the cigars and the products, so they can go back and sell it into the, you know, at the casino host and the uh, restaurants and, and the really you know, higher-end hotels all are carrying our products there. So they all have, you know, small humidors and, uh, but have cigars available. So yeah. you're seeing that kind of grow there. So it was different. And then we would do just nights at, like, a, a restaurant, and a bar, and they would bring in, the, again, the, their, their customers who, who sell the cigars for them. Yeah. Uh, so a little different a, a, approach, but it's just, again, it's so new to them, so it was mm-hmm. great to really train their staff and, and uh, the people who will be selling the cigars in those different venues.
0: So you would say that the American market, in terms of the amount of cigar shops, like what we think of as traditional cigar shops— the density is higher in the U.S. Yeah, compared way, to, like, Europe, yeah, European way, countries? Way, way yeah.
1: higher. Because, it's, you know, unfortunately— Yeah, the culture is different there, huh? Yeah, unfortunately yeah, yeah. for the EU, uh, basically whatever the World Health Organization says mm-hmm. goes, right? Yeah. And so it gets blanketed through—kind of like the U.S., right? If we have the FDA makes a rule, it goes through all 50 states— Well, it's basically like they're a bunch of states, right? Whatever, 35 Mm. or 34 partners in the EU. And so when they really don't have a way to fight it, because I was like, you know, how? And they're like, well, when they pass it, there's really no way for us to get to it because we're separate countries. We're not mm. a group of states. Hmm. We're a group of countries. So uh, it's a little bit harder for them to kind of combat... uh, uh, the World Health Organization and what these people are putting through there because, uh, you know, in the U.S., fortunately enough, we can go to court and we can fight it through the federal courts and the district courts and or maybe even to the Supreme Court someday. But um, as a country, you know, uh, representing the 50 states where they have the 34 or whatever, uh, don't quote me on that number, but uh, countries that are in the European Union but it's really hard for them to because they really don't have a voice at the EU level in a sense. Hmm. So it's you know they're uh, they're always baffled. You know they're like you guys fight for it. They love it. Like the the, the cigar smokers there and our distributors they love what we do in the U.S. because mm-hmm. they really don't have the voice or the the ability to kind of fight it the way we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know it's something really great about our
0: country. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I didn't really understand that. I mean, when I would go to Europe, um, and, and I go to Spain, uh, at least before COVID, I would try to go once a year. And it's interesting, like, seeing the culture there of, of cigar smoking, where, in, in, to me, in some respects, it's better. But in most ways, it's it, I think the American market is just superior, I guess, just because of our culture. Yeah, it's just shop. more entwa- intertwined with cigars and tobacco. You know,
1: and today we have so many, you know, cigar bars and yeah. opportunities to go have— where, uh, you know, a lot of the places aren't like that in Europe, you know, and Germany has some nice, really nice shops, you know, I did some events there, and, uh, you know, they were great, I mean, beautiful stores that are Habano stores, uh, but they have a humidor for Habanos, and then they have a separate humidor for the New World cigars, or, you know, like our stuff, Yeah. and, uh, you know, so we, we had great events where you just have 20, 25 guys come in, and. Uh, sample three cigars through the night, have uh, a rum or a scotch or a, you know a, a drink to pair with it, and really get uh, that one on one with a small group of people. Yeah. So sometimes the events are very different in that sense, right? Because they come in and they bought the three pack and get a, and we're there to give them the education on our products and what our company does and what we're about. So it's a great opportunity to really get in front of smokers who might have never tried our stuff. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, that's a good strategy. So you're going a little bit more, I guess, smaller uh, audience, but you're more engaging with them. Yeah, very build much. Build that loyalty, yeah. So it can be pretty effective. Yeah. Hmm. So you're just getting back out on the road. Um, yeah, sorry we missed you at the PCA. Yeah,
1: man, first one in like 20 years. So, oh, man. you know, had a little health scare there and uh was uh diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, so uh changing my diet and yeah. uh you know, like I said, it's been a few days, four days in the ICU, and uh, got my blood sugar straightened out, and new diet, and so it's uh, so this is my first trip back out on the road yeah. in three weeks. So
0: now we're glad you're out here. Yeah, It's uh, good to be here. Just don't fall for the food here. I mean, yeah, that'll that'll set you back. <laughs> yeah, yeah the just C- keep it healthy. The Cajun food is know. Uh, you know not 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 very good for you health wise, but tasty. You're, you're yeah. Very tasty. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: so yeah, hopefully, yeah, you'll be back on the road and. Promoting asylum. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for some of this new, uh, these new lines coming out. Can you expand on some of these? Uh...
1: Yeah, you know, so, you know, we, we, we uh, really kind of how it started was with Deadwood Tobacco and uh, uh, doing a line for Deadwood, uh, a, a non-traditional line. And, um, you know, we, we had all this ready to kind of go. And then there's some trademark issues that are getting worked out. And so we kind of had to step away from the Deadwood side, and uh, till that gets figured out. And uh, so we launched, a, you know, the Asylum Eight Six Seven. So we have three different blends of the Eight Six Seven. Uh, we have the Auntie, the Zero, in the Midnight Oil coming out, and then we also kind of went into the uh, with a new product called the Cool Brew, which is our kind of. Uh, java mint style yeah i saw know? that at the trade yeah, show so, yeah we placed uh, our
0: orders so we're waiting for that one. yeah that, so that, that looks, looks interesting september
1: fantastic i mean okay. i you know i've oh my god i had to smoke so many of those things and i'm not really a flavored right. guy right uh, in that sense of uh but they uh you know we sat down and hammered them out and they came out really good i'm really excited for that product to come out people were very excited about it
0: so this 867 and the cool brew these yeah. will represent the first I guess non-traditional cigar yeah. blends from Asylum, yeah. Other yeah.
1: than in size, right? Because maybe we're not oh. so traditional, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in yeah. Size, yeah but, uh, yeah, in terms of the blend, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It'll be uh, uh yeah, more that uh, aromatic style. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited about that cool brew because it's weird. Like you don't see enough. I and mean, this is for the flavored fans, I don't see enough of that mint uh, flavor profile, other than like the Java Mint you mentioned. Um. So and you would think that there would be more mint yeah, flavored it's a, cigars. It's
1: very chocolatey on, okay. on the aroma. It's The chocolate and mint profile. Uh very uh, has, you know, the notes of the smell. The pre-light smell is very sweet and, and cocoa and uh and then when you get into it you get more of the mint uh, uh, and sweetness. So, yeah. yeah, it came out really good.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. So it'll be September dropping, so yep. hopefully yeah, we'll we'll, we'll sure. get these soon. Yeah. 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 So you mentioned that the other non-traditional component of, I guess, the asylum brand—the image—is the like the size and the format. Yeah, for sure. Who who, who came up with that? Who was the uh, impetus of, of that? Uh, well, was you that know, you or Christian or someone else?
1: No, it was one hundred percent me. Because yeah? Christian thought it was the worst idea on the planet, <laughs> right? And he's like, "I'm going to make him just to say I told you so." And here we are, eleven years later, and uh, you know our number one selling SKU is seven seventy. Wow. So, you know, uh, we weren't the first company in the market with them. You know, there were people who had them. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Nick at Perdomo had yeah. the immense years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. It was kind of before its time, I guess.
0: That's what I would say. He was he was ahead of his time, like yeah, way just, ahead of his time with that 70 ring gauge.
1: Yeah. and uh, just didn't take off. Yeah. And, and, you know, there were a couple companies that had them in the marketplace already, like uh, Grand Habanos and JFR had them in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just, they were always empty. You know, and I just said, I'm going to supply it. And that's the real difference. You know, we made a great cigar at a fair price and, and supplied it. And mm-hmm. it really, really took off for us. So, you know, it's kind of uh, uh, the, the the curse and the blessing at the same time. Because yeah. uh, when you think of Asylum now, people think big ring gauge right away. But they forget we make a Lancero. They forget we make a Robusto. Mm-hmm. You know, we have traditional sizes. Uh, but they just tend to, you know sell big ones yeah yeah.
0: you know well and uh, yeah i I had a chance to try a lancero format i forget which blend it was but i thought man these were fantastic
1: yeah we just did in the asylum we did the uh, the nicaraguan and we did the ogre okay Okay. so which are still available now
0: yeah and to explain to people what's the ogre about
1: so the ogre is funny because that was actually a cigar i made uh the first time with a friend of mine named Darren Hildebrand, and he has a a brand called Great Lakes Cigars. And Darren's a great story because he was a guy who, you know, when I first started in the business, he was actually working out of a flea market in Sandusky, Ohio, selling cigars on the weekends, right? Oh, cool, yeah. And then got his first shop and then uh, started rolling cigars and started his own brand. I think AJ makes his cigars or gives him the tobacco and, uh, Uh, so you, Darren, he, he actually bought this old house, this old farmhouse and turned it called as the old tobacconist den. So in the summers now, he just rents the house, uh, for people going to Cedar Point or Kalahari, the water park there in Sandusky. And, uh, they camp, you know, they got an RV and they just camp all summer, you know, and, uh, uh, but I would always stay at his house and we'd sit in his barn and, and he'd be like, ah, he, he actually more showed me how to roll cigars than anybody. Right. Even going down to the factory all these years. And we just sit and and make cigars. Cause it'd have a bunch of different tobaccos. And, uh, when we first sat down and it was me and him, we kind of put that together. And then one day I was, uh, a friend of mine who, who his name's uh, Ron English and he's, uh, he coached at University of Michigan and USC, and, you know, he's been all over throughout the years. Uh, but I used to do a charity thing with the University of Michigan all the time. And then he got the head coaching job at Eastern Michigan, and we always made the, the, the liberty uh, mm-hmm. for for him. And then when we started this company, so we did a liberty for him, a Candela Liberty. So when we started this company, said, Tom, I want you to make it for us. You know, so I said, Christian, I want to make this cigar. Uh, and then we, I remember, I can tell you, we were at uh, uh, Tony Bellotto's store, Havana okay. House in, in, in Niles. Uh, and we did an event there and we were just sitting around having beers and drinks after the event. And, you know, I told Christian, he's like, let's just make it a line. And introduce it, and that's how the ogre started. So the original ones, because I said, just make me. I, I need like eight, ten boxes of seven seventies, uh, and then we did the Eastern Michigan logo, and they were really you know nice boxes, and we would raffle them at their golf outing yeah. uh, to raise money for the program, and uh, and so it, it was funny, a funny story because Coach Ron is at Louisville now, and he was at Purdue before that, and f- Florida. He's been all over the world, you know, in, in the football world. And, So he's always recruiting down in Miami. So he comes by the office and, you know, I sent him away with some cigars. And uh, he came into the office one day and Christian was there. I was, you know, wherever on the road and uh, they went to lunch and he was telling uh, Ron, you know, and Ron's like, listen, I thought Tom just told me that to make me feel good that you actually made this for me. I thought he was just pulling my leg, and it's like, no, it actually started with making it for Eastern Michigan because their colors are green and and white and black, you know. And uh, so uh, he was blown away that we actually, that's how it really started. It was really just a cigar I made with Darren in a barn, and then I took that to Nicaragua and made it. And then really it was just going to be made for Ron. And then Christian's like, dude, let's just come out with the Ogre or the Shrek. And we're like, okay, we'll probably get yeah, yeah. for that one, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's funny how the ideas wow. come together that easy sometimes, you yeah.
0: know? And that's, is that one of your top sellers? It
1: is. It's been a very, very good seller yeah. since we've launched that cigar.
0: What's the best-selling Asylum line right now?
1: The Nicaragua. The, okay. The, the original the classic, line. The yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's our number one.
0: Now, what is your favorite asylum? If you had to just, I know they're, they're all probably your favorite, but if you had to choose one.
1: Yeah, I, I mean the Medulla, you okay. know, anything with our authentic Corojo. You okay. know, I, I, I was brought into the industry on uh, that tobacco. So, you mm-hmm. know, if I was going to mm-hmm. smoke something, it's going to be the authentic Corojo from our farms.
0: I remember the uh, remember the dark natural designation uh, on the oh, Camacho yeah. Corojo, the old Camacho Corojos. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those. Uh. There was,
1: geez, I think at the beginning, he must have had like eight different variations, and it was just super confusing. So then it went to Dark Natural. But I remember the the Dark
0: Natural. Like some boxes we would get, we would order Camacho Corojo. This is when uh, the Aroas owned it. And some boxes had the Dark Natural sticker. Yeah. And like as a a retailer, I was a nerd about that. Like, oh, I want these, the Dark Natural. You know what's
1: funny? Like even when I was on the... The road as a sales rep at, during the Camacho days, I had a customer in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, Randy at Clafters. Okay. And, uh, you know, he has some stores and then, but he's a big, he has a dis- distribution Yeah, I've heard of too. Clafters. Yeah. yeah. Great, mm-hmm. great people there. Uh, and uh, he just had stuff, right? Like in his warehouse. And I remember I'd go in and he would have boxes of the Nationali size, which is more oh, like yeah. a Corona-type yeah. size. And he must have had, like, 15 boxes of Dark Naturals. Oh, there, no, right? that You know, it, the packaging was changed. Everything yeah. was different. We didn't even do the Dark Naturals anymore. So every time I'd go in, I'd buy a box and just give them out as I was on the road and smoke. They were oh, so man. good, man. Oh, I bet they smoked fantastic. Yeah, they were amazing. How,
0: how old would those have been when, when you were buying them from, from him?
1: Well, they, they were still fairly, you know, again, that brand launched in 2000, like end yeah. of 99, 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this probably would have been 2007, 2008, because I think we changed the packaging in 06, if, okay. I, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was like 06, 07. So, you know, they were six years old on top of the three years of aging they already had So wow. before they came to market. So mm. oh, they were amazing
0: another throwback do you re- i'm sure you remember the and i thought this was a brilliant concept at the time um the camacho by la flor dominicana oh, and yeah, the, the la flor yeah the face-offs yeah. yeah yeah i love those you know we series. keep
1: talking i talk to carney all the time right because yeah. carney's one of my favorite people in the business and uh you know, we always talk, tell let's do it again. I loved let's it. Let's do it again. I love yeah.
0: that concept. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. So who
1: knows? Maybe we'll get Lido yeah. to do it again.
0: <laughs> so to give insight to people who maybe don't know what we're talking about, um, there was an instant, a year where Christian gave some of his leaf to Lido. Yeah. Lido gave some of his leaf to Christian, and they had to come up with a blend. Yes. So there was a Camacho by LaFleur. Yep. And the LaFleur by Camacho. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I always try to, like, anytime I visit a shop around the country, I'm always, like, seeing if they have any, but yeah, I'm sure the, they're all the pretty old, much gone. The face off series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a brilliant concept. And, it, it, you know, you have, like, a crossover, right? Like, two different yeah. well known companies coming together and doing it, it, it this project. It was
1: fun. It gave uh, good exposure to both companies.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause I guess back then, even LaFleur was, wasn't it was
1: more mild. Well, I think we changed Lito.
0: Oh okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But I just remember, yeah, like Lafleur wasn't as well known. It was still very boutique back then. Yeah, even yeah. more so than than today. Yeah, for sure. But I I just thought that was a cool concept. So I'm always looking for these face offs in the in the in the wild. But I'm sure they're pretty much all gone.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen one in forever. Yeah,
0: yeah. well that's cool. So. um... Yeah, so your favorite is the Asylum, just the 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 Nicaraguan.
1: The, the no, my my, my go to. Oh, I'm sorry. Everyday. Yeah, you said the, the, the medulla. medulla. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Naturally, um, The best seller is your
0: Asylum, Nicaragua. Yeah, okay, correct, correct. Okay, but that's what I think is cool about Asylum is there is a blend out there for for everyone, right? For
1: everyone. I mean, we have the Pandemoniums, the longer sticks. You know, we have the Nectophilia's, which are our all Maduro cigar. Uh, the Insidious, which are the Sweet Cap Mild Cigars. So, That's a huge seller for yeah. us. Yeah, so, so, you know, we have something for everyone. We got the mm-hmm. Asylum Connecticut. We have the regular Corojo line, which is three-year age. We have the Medulas, which is four-year age. And, you know, a little different blend of Viso, Seco, and Lajero. So we've got, you know, quite mm-hmm. a bit in the portfolio.
0: Mm-hmm. And the Schizos are probably yeah. your best seller, huh? The volume-wise. We, we volume
1: yeah, we sell a lot of Schizos. You know, we, we we're not... So much in the bundle business in that aspect, because our prices are a little bit higher on those. But that Schizo Maduro is a fantastic cigar for yeah. the price. Unbelievable.
0: Well, and I'm sure a lot of manufacturers, they probably hate offering their bundled cigars. That's still such an important segment of the industry. Like, everyone's got to offer those inexpensive, handmade, bundled cigars. Yeah, I mean... You know, good price points.
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean... You know, years for years, I think companies would, you know, there's always leftover tobacco, right? So if it's a Cuban sandwich, short fillers, mixed filler cigars, um, you know, that's a big part of bringing the cost down of overall cigars because you're keeping people working, uh, you're keeping production going so you don't have to lay people off, right? So when you can make uh, those type of cigars, and you know, a lot of that production would go to the catalog companies, you know, for years. You know, yeah, uh, because it was a a way to get rid of those cigars and it kind of gave you some money to keep the lights on and keep Mm -hmm. everyone working, and uh, so it really does have a very important part in the cigar business. Mm. You know, not just uh, having a price point cigar or an inexpensive cigar for the end consumer, but it also keeps the factories' workers working, it keeps the farms working, it kind of plays into the whole thing and you know again there's not a lot of margin in that product but you sell it by volume and and uh you know it, it's one of those things that just helps keep everybody working keep keeps the lights on type yeah. thing. you know
0: yeah that's pretty good in, great insight yeah. into like the function of those inexpensive bundled mm-hmm. cigars i never thought about that in in terms of like keeping the wheels going yeah and uh moving that stock um no, that's pretty interesting. Now, how, how often do you go down to Latin America to see the factories or fields? You know, uh,
1: so me and Christian kind of split up the duties a little bit. Okay. Uh, you know, he obviously spends a lot more time down there than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, he, he does a lot of the blending and things like that. And, um, you know, on the asylums, you know, I usually go down when the tobacco is growing. Right. So September, October, November, December, January, February. So I usually go down three or four times a year, um, and work on new projects with Christian. Or if I can't be there, because I run the sales. Okay. You know, so my, my job is sales and marketing, and and uh, so I'm on the road quite a bit.
0: So, so yeah, you're more on the road. Yeah. Then, so you know. he,
1: you know, and Christian's on the road too, but he'll be there. Yeah. You know, making sure the blends are ready, and and the factory's doing everything it needs to do. Yeah. So it kind of you know, it's, it's a good partnership. It kind of splits it up and we, we kind of break up the duties and, uh, you know, so I can yell at him for stuff and <laughs> he yells at me for stuff. We're good. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: now, when you go down to uh, Honduras, do you fly with, with Christian? I love looking at Christian's Instagram video yeah. of him flying and landing the plane. Yeah. Yeah. A, people don't know he, he's a, he has a pilot. He's license.
1: a commercial pilot license. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he, uh, he, he's always had a passion for flying you know and uh so we get out yeah yeah i fly with him all the time on it you, you know? don't
0: get scared when when he's flying no he's yeah.
1: fantastic <laughs> you know he he's uh he, he, he takes it very seriously yeah. and uh you know so i've never had a bad flight with him
0: yeah no all joking aside like watching those videos like you could tell He's just a professional about it.
1: And he he loves it. So, yeah. you know, it gets up there. That's a, he always tries to he's like, "Ah, oh, why don't you take the classes and learn to fly?" I said, "Listen, I want to get to point A to point B with the least amount of stress in my life. So, I'll yeah. just sit in the back." Yeah, yeah. And then he'll say, "Well, you're just too fat to sit in the front." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is true cuz it's hard to get in that thing, you know. I got to be a contortionist to get in the in the seat, but uh, What is
0: but, he what is he flying? What
1: what Uh it, it is uh I think it's a citation too.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't know that world. Yeah. So.
1: For years we, we, you know, we had a King Air for years, which was a twin turboprop, Super ninety, fantastic plane. Uh, could take a lot of weight, but just slow, like mm. two hundred and forty knots an hour, and you can only get so high, maybe twenty four thousand feet. Where you know, with with the newer plane, it goes up to thirty four thousand feet, and you know, flies mm. at. 500 miles an hour you know That's so, longer distance I'm assuming yeah that yeah it, it, the fuel burns a little different yeah. uh but yeah so you know we I think our max is about 1400 miles in that plane depending on weight and temperature yeah. and the different things that go into it but uh yeah so it's a lot of fun yeah you know, he'll, he'll he'll text me he says hey Tom uh, he'll send me pictures one day and he was getting it Painted, so now it's all black and it has like the asylum skull blowing on the tail and no stuff. Way. It looks pr- really what? cool, but he says, Yeah, he, but I always laugh because i will say, Ta. He's like, uh, he sent me pictures and I said, Oh, you got your plane painted. He goes, What do you mean uh, my plane? It's our plane. I said, No, I'm flying on Delta or American every day, <laughs> brother. You're flying private. <laughs> is he always flying?
0: Like, if, if he's traveling around the US, is he always flying? Not all.
1: I mean, a lot of times he'll fly commercial too. It just oh, depends, okay. you know. Uh, Sometimes if you got a group of people, it makes sense, or just mm. for timing, you right? Know, well, that's what I would think. if you got to so. get in and out, it's fantastic, right? Because you just yep. sets his flight plan, rental cars on the runway, so it's it's a great great thing. You know, a lot of people, I know, sometimes think it's uh, uh, they're like, oh, just charge us less for cigars and not be flying in a plane around, right? But it's it's not like that. You know, the, the plane isn't. Uh, for an ego thing it actually really serves a purpose and you know it's not a big jet it it, you know doesn't burn tons of tons of fuel so in certain instances it it really makes more sense it saves the company Mm -hmm. money to do it And, and so uh yeah it's a great advantage man it really is i mean we used to do i remember at camacho we used to do blitzes so four or five of us six of us would get into the plane and we'd fly into uh let's say Houston and there'd be a we'd each have a rental car with a group of accounts and drive out see five or six accounts on the way out and back so we would hit a you know we, we could hit 35 accounts or 40 accounts in one day Whoa. and then we'd come back we'd jump in the plane fly to Dallas right? And, and and then at night we'd all have dinner and then come back and set the routes and we'd all make fun of the guy who couldn't sell shit you know <laughs> and uh you know give guys a hard time because they're like oh i sold i did really well and this guy's like ah, i didn't sell so much you know but uh so it was really good camaraderie right. and it was a great way to do it and we, yeah. we still do that some days now you know not quite the same as back in the day but uh You know, it's a great way to to really hit a lot of the country very quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, we originally started that. That was, you know, before I was with the country with the company. Christian did it when, uh, you know, the we didn't have a full sales force yet. And uh, and then right before S chip, we did it. You know, I I think I was spending I spent more time that year in other people's territory than my own, uh, just going out and trying to get those sales before the S chip. Yeah. You know, that $0.40 a cigar kicked in and getting them out there. So we blitzed, you know, every week. Wow. You know, I probably spent three months every other week just hitting different parts of the country and renting a car and f- drive in, drive out, next city, next day. You know, we'd fly to that city and then do it again the next day.
0: And I'm sure, like, your accountant probably looked at the cost of that strategy yeah. versus if you, had to, if you had to hit the same amount of shops in traditional ways— you know, with the amount of sales reps, sleeping in the hotels, yeah. uh, renting the car, food, it, it, you probably almost saved. And I guess the, 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 the key is because Christian was a pilot. You didn't have to pay a pilot.
1: Yeah, and a lot of times he has uh, an, another pilot with oh, us okay. too, right? Uh, there's a, You know, we don't always fly together, you know, because, you know, it's just like him. Him and his wife a lot of times take separate flights just because of some God for, you know, yeah. something did happen. That's a if, strategy if, that if, a lot of yeah both yeah. of us uh, mm-hmm. had an accident in the plane, there'd be no one left to you know mm-hmm. what, what happens to the company. So we don't know, I mean, we do once in a while, but it, it, it's definitely in our thought process all yeah. the time. So So that's why I'm on commercial and he's flying mm-hmm. around.
0: And, you know. Well, that's no. I mean, that's actually a, a very <laughs> valid um, consideration. I remember talking to Carlito years ago. That's how him him and his father would would actually travel separately because God forbid I mean and I know it's morbid but you gotta you know have a backup plan what if one plane goes down and takes all the principles of a company down like yeah you gotta d- spread the risk right yeah and, because
1: you know, there's a lot of people's livelihoods mm-hmm, at stake mm-hmm. you know our salespeople our inner office people warehouse the mm-hmm. the the farm workers the the people rolling the cigars you know sorting there's a lot of jobs at stake if mm-hmm. something was to happen to both of us. So, yeah, you know, we don't fly together a ton Yeah, because of that. Oh. But we do on occasion. You know, if we're going to Honduras, we'll jump in and yeah. do that. But sometimes I fly separate commercial too. You yeah. Know?
0: Well, that's smart. That it, and Like, to me, private air travel is very intriguing. And I'm sure, like, our industry would love to incorporate more of that. I'm sure a lot of uh, other cigar companies just don't have the, the funds or revenue to, to make it work. Make it sense, so, but, I mean, just the, the efficiency of, like, saving all those hours, waiting well, a, and,
1: and a lot of it is when you have multiple—you know, if you're going to put six or seven people on the plane mm-hmm, and, and yeah. you, you take the cost versus airfare,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it, it's definitely cheaper, especially when fuel was, was really cheap, you yeah. know. Um, it, it made it very, very— uh,
0: uh, Like, financially, appe- financially like appealing, you
1: yeah better mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so you know it's not for the ego it's just he, right it's his passion and then on top of it you know it, it's uh a, a nice benefit to be able to get in and out of places very quickly and mm-hmm. hit multiple places on a trip so yeah
0: yeah I mean, it might inspire other cigar principals to maybe start getting yeah. their uh a- aviation license you know
1: yeah it's all, yeah uh-huh. <laughs> like i said i enjoy the back seat yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, going back to, um, like, Christian's social media account, I've noticed the last few years, like, his activity has just skyrocketed. What what do you know? Like, can you give any, any insight into how he, he did that? Is l- it just the content l- he's producing? or
1: Listen, someone else is producing the content. Don't let Christian fool oh. you that he's uh, – <laughs> he'll, he'll tell you, you know, he's this big social media guru. No, yeah. he, I mean, joking aside, yeah. he's done a great job with it, you know. Uh, and, and, you know – Raul and our team, our marketing team, uh, uh, back then, uh, we have a new group doing it. Creativus is doing her stuff now. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because you, you you can really get a feel of what it does for a brand, mm. right? And if I put myself in, in one of the posts, okay, we get good traction. But if I put myself in a post and put a Ferrari or a car it doesn't get good traction because people don't relate to that with my brand. Mm. You know, where we do very well is we see the factory stuff. Like we had one, yeah. it was just a, a, a real or an Instagram post. And it had, uh, it was the press with, with the end of the cigar and they were using the Chivette to cut it. So I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Over 17 million views. Holy totally cow. went viral. Um, Wow. You know, and so that was our, the best one we've had so far. And I think Christian on his own has had a couple go like 9 million or 7 million, uh, which is a massive number yeah. for our industry. And when, mm-hmm. when that happens, we see 30,000, 40,000 new followers. Whoa. So, you know, just uh, getting something that people maybe don't understand, they want to learn mm-hmm. about. And so when it's just a cigar or a picture of me, you know, listen, for me, I, I, I don't, uh, you know, I get a face for radio. Per se, right. So I, I, I don't so much worry about putting myself out there. I should be better at social media, uh, but for myself, it's just not who I am, right? It's not in my core to take pictures yeah. of myself every day and post. Uh, you know, I, I mostly what I do is I'll just share, you know, or, or repost, you know, is on mine. But uh, uh, but Christian's done a really good job, you know, on his and and uh, being the face of the brand and Cle and and. Uh, he enjoys that part. For yeah. me, it's a little narcissistic for me. <laughs> well, that's what, I mean, the,
0: this whole the notion of social media, you know, with our industry in particular is, is very intriguing to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, some I'm sure some people question, like, what, what's the worth of social media, like, for cigar companies to get on? Well,
1: you know what's amazing about it is you can do all the social media, but if you don't I- interact with the people that take the time to mm-hmm. respond, mm. y- you're not getting anywhere, you know, so we'll see, you know, and I'll respond to some of it when, when when I can. But, you know, something as simple as an example, I remember one day some guy was looking for nectophilia mm-hmm. and uh, he was in the Pittsburgh market. And so he said, hey, so I responded to him, hey, these are two stores in the Pittsburgh area that carry it. And I remember the next time I went in the store, he's like, dude, we're doing like five boxes a month now of. Whoa. A certain size of nectophilia because the guy went in and that's his cigar. And he buys it. Yeah. So when you mm. you know they take the time to yeah. interact, you 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 have to give them back the, the 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 courtesy of saying hey
0: yeah that engagement's
1: important the engagement yeah so social media without engagement to me is useless. Mm. You can put it out there, you can you know, but the engagement part if you really get behind the engagement and talk to the people and answer, um, you can put them onto you know, the whole idea is get people coming into Havana Port, right? And so if someone's on and they're like, hey, we're in Baton Rouge, where do I find your cigars? And we can say, hey, let's go into Havana Port, or, you know, whatever shop carries in the area. But we can give them some choices yeah. and, and hopefully that turns people to walk in your door. And then you have the opportunity to upsell them on cutters or lighters or other add extra cigars to it, uh, whether it be our brand or somebody else's. And so it's just really working to get the people to walk in your door,
0: right? Mm. And our incentives are aligned, right? So as a retailer, I appreciate the fact that our manufacturer partner will take the time to engage with the end consumer and direct them our way. Yeah. And we we can all, pro, you know, profit from it, right? Uh, and listen, you make a customer happy.
1: 100%. You know, uh, cigars sitting on your shelf that aren't turning uh, aren't good for you or for mm-hmm. me, right? Mm-hmm. So. That's right.
0: But like what i found what I find intriguing with the social media uh, component in our industry, right? Look, I mean, the demographics are of our industry are maybe 30, 40, really starting forty, the 60, maybe yeah. older, male. That's not really the social media yeah, uh,
1: that's demographic, yeah, right? Yeah.
0: And so I find it very interesting to see like these small upstart cigar companies that have great social media but it doesn't necessarily transfer to sales and what the reality is. Yeah. And
1: again, uh, you know, I don't, I I look at other people's social media, see what they're doing, see if there's interesting things, but uh, you know, the reality of our business is you have to be able to distribute the product. Mm -hmm. Right. And and so uh, you have to have the capital to invest and make sure you can supply the product and there's all these things that go into it. So if you're missing a piece of that, you can do all the social media you want, but it doesn't necessarily translate into you being able to supply yeah. that cigar or get it to enough retailers, right? So, uh, but we all start somewhere, yeah. You know, that's right. so uh, it's not.
0: Yeah, it's not to dismiss them, but it's just, exactly. But it's exactly. interesting to see that the reality doesn't always coincide with like the yeah. sexy ads or, or the way they their posts, you know. Yeah and, no. and
1: you know we're so limited on how we can advertise right so, mm-hmm. so social media is a great aspect and again we need the next generation of, of, of people who enjoy tobacco and cigars so you know we we have a generation that lives on their phone you know the gen my my children you know are on their phones all the time they they panic if they don't, if if their phone's gone or something, you know? That's right. And uh, so, you know, they operate that way. You click a button, it gets shipped to your house, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about just cigars. I'm talking about anything. You go to Amazon, you can find anything. So, you know, there's uh, a changing uh, culture, Mm -hmm. you know, or it has already changed, but it's still at the beginning, right? (laughs) There's really so much growth in those uh, avenues Uh, So if you can do it well, I I think, uh, and engage properly, you you can really turn it into getting people to walk into the stores that carry our product.
0: So I take comfort, and it's not just to dismiss social media. It might not be, uh, I guess, effective right now, but you are laying the groundwork for the next generation of of cigar clients. right? These 20-year-olds might not care about your brand now. But if maybe they remember that real, that short, that, you know, Christian distributed, when they are in their forties or fifties, ready to enter the cigar world, yeah, they'll have you in the top and, of mind. And
1: we're seeing younger people, you know. Hmm. Uh, we're we're seeing younger people enjoying cigars and you know, the boom I think created a lot of that. And um, you know, I think this new generation really enjoys experience, you know. So they wanna try mm-hmm. things. Maybe they don't smoke cigars every day or every week, but they go, Hey, we're going to go in, we're going to try a really nice bourbon or scotch or tequila and have a cigar. Yeah. And price point isn't the issue. They just don't do it all the time. Right. And, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we have to kind of grow with the times, right. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have to change a little bit and, uh, social media is a big part of that and being uh, better at it. And, you know, again, Raul kind of set the groundwork and, and we've watched it grow and, uh, and he was our marketing guy at the time, uh, but uh, you know we we've seen it really grow on our side, and it's organic, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a great great tool to have.
0: Yeah. No, that's it's uh, it's pretty interesting to see how yeah this this social media is evolving with with our industry specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And and you you bring up a great point too, delivering experiences. So you're here today because we're gonna have an event later. In our Baton Rouge store, uh, it'll help get more visibility for your brand. You know, these experiential type events are very important, uh, at least for a cigar shop. Yeah, for sure. I mean, do.
1: you know, I, I I am more of a, I want to call it old school mentality when it comes to the business, but I, I like to be on the road, you know, and I learned that, uh, you know, when I started, you know, one of the first people who kind of took me in was Rocky,
0: wow, okay. you know,
1: I was doing lighters and they'd be like, oh, come sell lighters. This is before Rocky had lighters, you know. uh, But, you know, so I'd be in Michigan and Rocky would be doing an event and the store would be like, come sell lighters during the event. Mm -hmm. And That's how I met Rocky. And, you know, that guy was on the road like an animal. He still Mm -hmm. travels a lot and uh, maybe not as much as he used to. But, uh, you know, I really learned from that because the best way is to create those relationships. Get in the shops, meet the people, talk to the people, build that relationship and then, you know, when they see you, when you come into the store, even as the rep, they'd be like, ah, Camacho Tom's here, right? Let's get a Camacho because he's yeah. in the store, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you, you build those relationships. So that that being on the road, and, and I think, you know, uh, uh, you know, talking about experiences, you know, we used to do the trips to Honduras. We were the first company really doing factory tours mm-hmm. back then. And... Uh, you know, when we started this company uh, in uh, Asylum and CLE, and I'm out traveling around, it was amazing to see how many people I actually was in Honduras with. Because uh, you know, maybe the name of the store didn't click, but when I walked in the store,
0: we're like hey, you, recognize, hey, yeah, you recognize, yeah, you recognize the face, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So and they were like, yeah, we'll give it a shot, right? Because we built the relationship mm-hmm. over over those years, and just spending those four days in Honduras with somebody, and it might have been six years later that I haven't seen them because I didn't cover that territory, you know, as a sales rep. And now I'm out there on the road selling my brand and and the CLE stuff. And, um, you know, those relationships really, really are what make our business.
0: Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of people don't realize about this industry. It's very slow. It takes years for any cigar company to really grow oh it's funny a huge point but i think so many people have this notion especially you see so many startups especially like during boom times like i'm I, yeah. I, i'm gonna say we're in a boom right yeah and they just expect to you know go, go out the door just just making millions but it's not like that i mean they have to still go to shops they still have to see people directly and you
1: you know as you grow you have to reinvest Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like we're here stuffing our pockets. You know, like we're constantly reinvesting and in, in expanding our company, providing more jobs and in, in growing to uh, continue to grow our brand. And yeah, at some yep, point, we yep. could say, okay, this is good enough. But you know, as we keep seeing growth and in, in the enthusiasm of the, the cigar smokers, it makes you want to continue to uh, expand.
0: Yeah. No, it's very interesting. And, and similar with uh, the cigar shop side, right? It took us years, you know, uh, now in our 13th year, yeah. you know, to grow to two stores. Uh, we have the location here in Baton Rouge and one in Metairie. Yeah. Like, people come in, and you've seen our new store in Baton Rouge. It, it just didn't happen overnight. Like, we we were bootstrapping in the beginning. <laughs> For you sure. Know, started out with maybe 20 boxes of cigars and just yeah. grew it now to where we are, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and you know, it's amazing because I remember I always have a story – had this customer in Michigan. His name was Gary Tuttle. He had Tuttle Cigars in Grand Rapids, right? And I remember when I first started with Calibri, I walked in his store and he liked the prior rep. Okay. And so I hand him my card. He looks at it, hands it back to me. I'm not uh, going to need that. I, yep. you know, uh, uh-huh. I, I I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't like the way they got rid of the old guys. All right. Well, next time s- we see that a lot. Yeah. Next mm-hmm. time I'm in, I'll come visit you. You know. So, uh, and then I left and went to Camacho, and the same thing, he says, ah, oh, you know, I like the other guy, and, you know. Yeah. So finally, eight years, he comes to our trade show booth, and he says, so what's new? You know, in the cigar world. I said, well, I think Oliva has this, and blah, 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 and he looks at me, goes, no, from you guys. I said, well, it's not freezing in here, and I don't see any pigs flying, Gary, but, <laughs> you know, but... It- Eight years. Yeah. But I would always go in. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, not every stop, but three, four times a year, I'd stop, have a coffee, give him a cigar. Yeah. We'd shoot the shit. And eight years later. So, you know, the the moral of that is never give up. Right. You you have to keep going in, have to keep trying, because maybe someday he'll need you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or, and you can have that partnership and relationship. And uh, so it just, you know, I, I tell all my guys, just because today's a no doesn't mean tomorrow's right. going to be a no. And it might be a no for a long time.
0: So I remember hearing a stat years ago that, on average, it takes a sales rep seven calls to open an account. Seven calls. Yeah. And where a lot of upstarts fail is maybe they they give up after the sixth visit, right? It,
1: yeah, I mean, because they're not they give making up. revenue, right? Yep. Yeah, they're like, well, we got to go to where we're making money. Yep. And they may be focused a little too much on, on specific accounts, and uh, that's fine. But, it, again, you want to grow your brand. You can't give up. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? And, and a lot of times it's just they want to know you're going to show up on a regular basis. So if you only see yep. a guy every five or six weeks, you're only seeing him five times a year. So it takes you a year, a year and a half, two years, a mm-hmm. lot of times, just to earn that trust That's to right. say, okay, this guy came in uh, religiously for the last eighteen months. Every five weeks, he's here, makes an appointment, calls. All right, I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna give him a chance. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the product has to do the work, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, no, I appreciate you. Uh coming here today um i guess before we, we have a final segment but before we get to that is there anything you would like to impart to our listeners
1: oh no man just uh you know keep smoking and if you haven't tried asylum cle uh or a please uh come into habana port and have have an asylum cle and uh, i'm sure we have something that'll fit your
0: profile yeah yeah great awesome so on to this final segment. If you want to participate, it's basically <laughs> a, a, a lightning round of four questions. Okay, let's do that it. That we ask our guests. So, you all right, got it. you're you're in for it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we call it the final puff. So the first question, number one, Tabasco or Crystal or another hot sauce? Because I know you're not. I actually
1: use uh, a Louisiana hot sauce. It's called okay. Louisiana yep. hot sauce, and I'm that's, familiar with I, it. I normally use that at home. Yeah. The
0: yellow and kind of reddish color, yeah, screen. yeah, yeah. And
1: uh, yeah, I make I do my wings at home with that and stuff like that. Yeah. Nice,
0: okay. Number two, what is your favorite vacation destination?
1: Oh man, that's a tough one, but uh, you know, so far in my travels on vacation, I, the, the south of Spain. Okay, absolutely. Loved what, it. what Andalusia? Yeah, uh, yeah. Ronda. If you haven't, I've been always there, wanted to go to Ronda. Yeah, uh, just a cool little town, yep. man. It's got this huge bridge, uh-huh. at the two sides of the cities. that's way up, and the waterfall coming underneath it, and
0: and it's all it's almost like kind of like San Diego, right? Like the weather's the, the, always oh, good there. The weather's fantastic, even though even the summers it, it can get brutal. Yeah, the rest like of the I was there
1: in December, uh, right before COVID in two thousand nineteen we went for a couple of weeks uh me and uh, Tina my fiance we went there and uh we started off in uh oh what town in, Seville in Seville yeah, yeah, yeah. Seville mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. And, and went from Seville to, down to uh uh to Cordoba okay and then Cordoba you know we went to Ronda and okay. Ronda to uh, Malaga.
0: Malaga Oh I love Malaga uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, to Granada? Yep, Granada, yep. To Alhambra there yep. and then back over uh, to Sevilla for another day or two and yeah. then to Madrid. So fantastic trip.
0: Did you go to the uh, Real Fabrica in Seville?
1: Uh, I walked past it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
0: People it's it's a university now, but that was yeah. the original cigar factory in Spain. The yeah. Royal the Royal Cigar Factory. Yeah, yeah. We yep. went right past it. Yeah. yeah. Uh the first time I went there I remember like going to the to the property. And they have the gate and they have just a little sign that yeah, has that a light, yeah, real uh, tile. Sign, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, and I walked in there, but you wouldn't know that it was a cigar factory. It's just a university now. And yeah, I I, w- I always wonder like, how do the students really know like the origins of this building they're in? Yeah, you know, we went in the same way. It was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, well, that's cool. All right, number three the ideal person you would want to smoke a cigar with, alive or deceased?
1: Oh, man. You know, I think I've been asked this before. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it would be, you know, my, my grandfather. Okay. You know, because, uh, you know, I could sit back and name a celebrity right. or, or somebody else or Winston Churchill or something, which would be fantastic. But mm-hmm. I would much rather have the time with, uh, you know, my, my mom's dad passed away when he was 51. And he would smoke a pipe. And uh, never really seen him smoke cigars, but he always, you know, that... Tobacco, the, the yeah. aromatic, and, and always stuck with me uh, through my life. So if I could really go back, he, he passed away when I was 10, would be to, you know, just ha- have have one with my old grandpa, you know?
0: That's awesome. And the final question, what is your Desert Island cigar?
1: Yeah. It could be
0: your portfolio or any uh, it's brand.
1: Authentic Corojo. It doesn't matter okay. whether I make it, Christian's dad makes it, Christian makes it. It's just the tobacco from our farm and Honduras. Yeah. that authentic Corojo.
0: And if you had to stereotype the flavor profile of Corojo, yeah. how would you describe it?
1: I would describe it as earthy mm-hmm. tobacco. Um, the more aged, the smoother it gets. So it tends to kind of start a little, like if it's three-year aged, it'll be a little more throaty. Okay. A little fuller, uh, lots of spice, some pepper through your nose, uh, but very easy on your palate. And and I like a cigar that makes me salivate compared to dry my mouth, so it's always done that. Uh, So uh, it it just has this earthiness, some sweetness to it, and then when you kind of go retrohale, you you, kind of feel the body and the spice of it. You know, so it's almost like two different cigars, which yeah. is really uh, what I enjoy.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's a beautiful hybrid, and yeah. or, or seed type, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Tom, thank you for visiting us today and talking with me. Yeah. We this appreciate it. Fantastic yeah. time. Yeah, thank you. A little, having little me. more improvement than the first time you, you did a recording with us. <laughs> yeah, huh? hopefully you will get which this never one came out. out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave me in the archive. Yeah, no, man. no, no. This is coming out. Yeah. Well, thanks again.
1: Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having. All right,
0: me. sir. Thanks everyone for listening. Until the next cigar.